The big question that every writer has is, how can I sell more books? Or if they're not published yet, it's how can I write books that sell? But when writers approach selling books from a numbers perspective, they're missing out on the amazing relationships they could be building with readers through their stories. It's impossible to write books that resonate with readers when you're writing for money, because money can't read. But shouldn't writers be able to make a living with their stories? Well, when you connect with human souls, readers turn into fans and friends, and that's when consistent income begins. That and so much more. But how do writers connect with readers? That is the question this podcast aims to answer. My name is Kristen Spencer, and this is the Expensive Words Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Expensive Words. As always, it's your host, Kristen Spencer, and it's been, let's see, about four weeks since I've done one of these episodes. And the reason is for that is because I've been doing my first like major renovation of a property with my hubby Travis. We bought a property that we want to turn into a community center before all this craziness and COVID stuff happened. Um, and the way that it was supposed to work was that the rent from the student housing on the top two floors would pay, uh, like basically pay us to work full time in the community center once we got it up and running. But now people don't want to rent student places because no one knows what's going to happen in September. So, you know, it's been a little stressful because pretty much all we have is tied up into this property and we've renovated it and now we can't find anyone to live in it. So, you know, it's just stress stuff. But in the meantime, I've also been working on a couple of projects and I wrote down ideas of what I want to talk to you about, my friendly writers slash listeners. And I also don't want to be silent about really important things that are going on in the world right now. So I thought today I would talk about agency. Specifically, I want to talk about social agency and suffering and shame. And I want to talk about all of that in light of Black Lives Matter. And I know you can't see me, you can only hear my voice, but I'm like super white. I have blonde hair, I have blue eyes. Um, growing up, my family had money. I'm pretty much the textbook definition of white privilege. And it's taken me a, too long, I feel like, to understand what that even means and to understand that I need to do something. I can't just sit in my privilege and leave it that way. And so um, my husband and I have spent the last several years trying to educate ourselves and our kids about these issues. Um, I think about a year ago, we went to the Civil Rights Museum and, you know, the Lorraine Hotel, which was a super, I mean, it was like a life-changing experience. And then 
before that, uh, we had gone to the actual physical Manzanar in California, which was a Japanese internment camp. And now it still has parts of the camp, but it's a museum. So you can go there and learn about what happened during World War II to actual U.S. citizens. And so I'm trying to be educated. If you have any resources you want to give me about how to fight systematic racism, which I'm learning more about every day, or at least I'm trying to, please send them to kristen.n.spencer at gmail.com. That's my personal email address. And yes, I just said it on my podcast. But um, yeah, I'd love any resources that you have that will help me become better educated. That would be awesome. So with all this in mind, I was thinking about you know, my white privilege, my kids' white privilege, you know, my husband, my family. And I was thinking about agency because one of the things that you might not know about me is that uh, I'm an advocate for survivors of sexual abuse. And we talk about social agency a lot when we're with survivors, when we're thinking about survivors, when we're trying to figure out ways to give them a voice, uh, a safe way to give them a voice because people in this world can be really big jerks. Um, as you know, I'm sure you know that. <laughs> and so, you know, thinking about Me Too and Black Lives Matter and the concept of agency, I wanted to talk about how I plan to use my agency personally, and my white privilege uh, in this world to hopefully challenge people to be better and challenge myself to be better. But also, I wanted to talk about uh, different types of shame and suffering because that kind of goes along in the conversation about agency. And I know this is a writing podcast, right? You're, you're, maybe you're wondering, what does this have to do with writing? And I want to say that uh, I am planning, and I, I have been doing this, uh, I'm planning to read more works written by black authors and uh, works from other minority groups. Like one of the things I want to talk about in an episode is... Um, works written and created by people from Pakistan, because that's something that's come up personally in my life, uh, just through becoming more educated. And so I wanted to talk about how as writers, we can address agency, and we can address the shame and the suffering that go along with it. So I... I hope I have engaged that writerly part of your brain, and uh, I would love to hear your perspectives about these issues as well, so please, like I said, write me an email. I love getting emails from you. So there's this idea that suffering is good, and it's not a popular idea. But I happen to agree with this concept that when you suffer, you change. And you can choose which, which way you're going to change. And I recently read um, in Streams in the Desert 
which is an amazing book that I read every single day. I read part of it every single day. It's like a calendar type book where there's two readings per day. And I recently read in there that there are two outcomes, two possible outcomes of suffering. And one is that you become really gentle and peaceful. And the other outcome is that you turn into a really bitter person. And I, I've been tempted to become a bitter person definitely a lot of times in my life. But um, in a lot of the recent suffering that I've been going through, and sometimes it feels really intense, I noticed that it's made me gentler. And I, I remember um, praying a couple of years ago, God, just give me gentleness. Uh, I'm, I'm a Protestant Christian, you know, but I actually think that we should follow what Jesus says and love our neighbors. And I'm a biblicist, I'll say that. And so I was praying, you know, God, give me gentleness. And he said to me, well, okay, is it, do I have your permission then to break your heart? And I was like, what? Uh, well, I mean, that wasn't what I was praying about. I was praying about gentleness and, but you want to break my heart. Uh, okay. I guess. Yeah. If that's what it's going to take. And wow. Okay. I didn't know (laughs) how crazy that was going to be and how intense it still is. But I do see that as the result of personal suffering and trauma and pain that I have become a gentler person and I think that, you know, anyone can face adversity in that way with that outcome. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. Uh, you still have a choice, no matter what you believe, to whether you will become more gentle or you will become more bitter. And so I do believe, this is my thing, that suffering is worth it. And that suffering can turn into something amazing. However... That doesn't mean that I can look the other way when someone's suffering because, oh, that's going to make them a better person. No, that's not how it works. And also there are different kinds of suffering and different ways that we suffer. And so for me, when I was living in Athens, Greece, I was faced with this reality of people being human traf- like trafficked and surviving sexual abuse. And they were suffering long term in a way that I could do something to help them. And sometimes I do see like my kids or my brother or people that I really love suffering and I know there's nothing I can do about that and they're going to learn something from it. You know, my kids are suffering right now because they can't see their friends because of COVID, but I know that I have no control over that, right? So there's nothing I can do to help them besides support them, be there with them, play with them, read with them, all the things I'm trying to do so that I can help them with their mental health. Um, But there's nothing I can do to end their suffering in this moment when it comes to that. However, in Greece, when I was seeing all these things and I was first becoming aware of the human trafficking situation over there, there was something I could do. So I did do something and I was trying to, in a way, ease their suffering because I could and I, I needed, I should do it. I should continue to do it. Um, And so there's this idea that suffering is good. Yeah, okay, I'm down for that. I agree. 
However, there are some things that we can control, and I don't believe that we should stand by while long-term suffering takes place that we could actually do something about. And so that's kind of where the Black Lives Matter and, you know, Me Too, these things come into play where I'm like, okay, that is long-term suffering that doesn't need to happen. And so I've been learning about systematic racism, which I was taught my whole life by, you know, other people under white privilege that, oh, you know, being African-American is not a big deal and they don't suffer anymore. And yes, slavery was bad, but we're not doing any of that stuff anymore. And so I had to like kind of reprogram my brain and I'm still reprogramming it to understand that, hey, so all these horrible things happened after slavery that oppressed black people and made it so that they couldn't build individual wealth the way that white families could. And redlining happened and I hadn't known that that existed. And when I read about it and listened to videos about it, I was like, this is awful. And I thought about how, you know, women didn't used to be able to have bank accounts or vote, and there were all these laws prohibiting them from doing it, prohibiting, you know, my lady ancestors and our lady ancestors from doing those things. And then I saw the modern legislation that was preventing black people from having the same rights. Uh, There's a great video I'm going to post a link to. And it's by Phil Vischer, and he's also a Christian, um, but he's he also seems to be one of those Bible-following guys. And he's like, you guys, look at all these things that happen. And he names all these statistics. He shows all these actual laws, the legislation that was so discriminatory and so damaging. And so that's my long introduction into, yes, okay, I do have white privilege, and what am I going to do with it? Because unfortunately, it means that I have more agency than black writers do. And while we're working to change that, and I hope that you're going to join me and everyone else who's working to change that, what can I do to help with this? And I came up with an idea for a book based on the geographical location where I live. And I started thinking, can I even write about this? Because I don't know about I, I my perspective is obviously different and you know I guess I would say like polluted when it comes to thinking about race relations um, however I also have agency and so I need to use that for good if I can and I started thinking about uh, Sue Monk Kid and the secret life uh, the secret life of bees and I thought she's so smart because she wrote the book from the perspective of a young white girl, because she's, she's white, <laughs> and, but she addressed these issues that were so toxic and unfortunately are still really toxic, and I thought, okay, I can do that. And so that's what, I, that's what I'm working on right now. Uh, the working title is Ava's Story, and I'm not going to reveal the title of the book until I finish it because that's how I roll and I don't want my titles are hard one and I don't want anyone stealing them and I know this title is really good 
Um, but so basically, I'm in the research and interview process for that book right now, and it's about a 16-year-old girl who moves from Los Angeles, California to uh, maybe a fictional town in Pennsylvania or maybe Latrobe, Pennsylvania in western Pennsylvania, and she realizes for the first time in her life that although her parents were very tolerant of uh, racial diversity in Los Angeles, that they're basically closeted racists and that being in Western Pennsylvania amongst so many white people, which I can say because I'm a white person living in Western Pennsylvania, is really bringing out all that racism in them. And so that's that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to learn. I'm going to write about it. And this project is very emotionally draining for me, but I want to show something that I've noticed and a lot of my friends have pointed out to me as well that in certain parts of the U.S., it's worse. Like the racial inequality is worse. And the idea that just because people have darker skin means they're more likely to, you know, break into your car is it's just real and it's it's happening constantly and I see it all around here um, I just want to write about it and I'm going to so that's going to be the new project it's going to be a standalone uh, YA book and while I'm working on that I am thinking about all these ideas of agency and what is Ava's agency going to be in the story as a white teenager and her best friend Nia is black and what does Nia's life look like and so I'm trying to make sure that I get all the details right so I'm doing interviews and that's what I would say is that if you're white and you want to write about this stuff but you feel like you can't you can but you have to get everything right and you cannot do that if you're only going based off of your own perspective your own white privilege perspective and I probably will get some kickback for talking for even saying the word white white privilege because I know so many people that refuse to acknowledge that it exists but I mean bring it I I'm a hundred percent sure it exists I've seen it I I've experienced it and I'm going to write about it. And if you feel like you want to support the black community, go out and support black artists, support black writers. Do your part to engage instead of hiding away. And that's what I want to do. That's what I'm trying to do is I just want to be completely transparent with you, my wonderful listeners and fellow writers, that I'm trying, and if you want to help me on my journey, yeah, send me your stories, send me whatever you want. Um, I'd love to give you a platform to speak on this podcast, so yeah, email me. You can go to expensivewords.com, and there's a fun little button that says email the host, and it will take you straight to an email, although I gave away my personal email earlier in this podcast, so hopefully no one signs me up for a bunch of spam stuff. And I can't believe I just gave you that idea, but whatever. I mean, I'm trusting you that you're, you're awesome people, you're writers too. And so um, the thing that I wanted to add, because we talked about long-term shame and how we should 
advocate against that shame that we can have some control over what happens using any agency we have. Um, I just want to say that there are things that we're ashamed about that we can't control. Race is one of those things, but there's also gender and economic background. I mean, you know, my parents did have money growing up, but I lived literally on the wrong side of the train tracks and other kids at school would ask me, oh, are you in district or out of district? And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm out of district. I'm L.A. County. I, I live in Harbor City, you know, which technically has a Torrance address. And if you're from that area, you know what that means. But basically, there, there are people in this world who are made to feel ashamed for things they have absolutely no control over. And kids can't control their parents' economic situations. And then, you know, we're learning about systematic race, systemic racism, I keep saying systematic, systemic racism, and how there are things put in place that are meant to keep people in the black community from having better economic situations. And it's disgusting. So if you see someone suffering, write about it. Write about it. Learn about it. Let's use the platforms that we have, the writing that we have. Let's use our expensive words to engage with the world for change. And since I'm, you know, being so political and whatever else, I also just want to remind you to wear your mask when you go out and stay six feet away from people. Because you're doing it to be helpful. You're doing it to stay safe yourself. This is not a conspiracy. The virus is real. Please do your part in social distancing so that the spread of this virus will slow down. I mean, it's, you know, it's July and it's ramped back up and my family lives in California and I'm worried about them. I'm worried about my two-year-old niece that, you know, I, whom I love. I love her so much, and she's so young, and my brother and his his compromised immune system, and and then here, my husband and his compromised immune system, and listen, we need to show each other that we love each other, and wearing a mask is one of those ways, and it is not infringing on any of your personal rights. It is a health issue, and guess what? When you're driving in your car, and you buckle up because you don't want to get a ticket, that is a health issue that is not infringing on your personal rights. So please wear your mask. Please, please, please. If you need a pattern, I'll send it to you. If you need a mask, I will sew you one and make you one and send it to you, okay? But, you know, they're pretty, you can find them pretty easily now. So that is my, that's what I wanted to share with you today, that We need to be others-focused. We need to use our expensive words and our agency to affect social change. And we need to do what we should do and not complain about our rights and our freedoms. But we need to think about people who we could be using our freedoms and our rights to better help and to better represent. And so uh, I guess the last part of this podcast, which is turning out to be a little bit shorter than most podcasts, um, is that 
I'm going to be taking you on my writing journey with me as I write Ava's story. And I'm going to tell you about my process. I'm going to post uh, notes on the website, on the Expensive Words website. I'm going to show you pictures of... I basically want to show you everything I do as a writer when I'm working on a new project. And the first thing that I've been doing is thinking and writing about 18 pages of notes on my iPhone. Uh, so I, I'm really excited about that, and I want to give you, you know, the, the front row seats to me doing this project. And it's going to be messy because I'm learning and I'm trying things I haven't tried before. But that's the whole, that's, that's why we write. Not to just write the same things over and over, but to learn, uh, to try new things, to use our expensive words, the words that cost us, so that we can connect with readers. And that's what I'm trying to do. And I can't wait for you to be on that journey with me. So thanks for listening. This has been Kristen on the Expensive Words podcast, pouring out my heart for you, my wonderful listener. If there's any question you want to ask me, if there's anything you want to tell me, you can go to expensivewords.com or you can find me on Instagram at kristen.n.spencer. And I would love to hear your wonderful writing thoughts from your amazing writing brain. Happy writing. Happy writing.